Welcome to the Wonder of It All podcast, where we are learning how to live in the sacredness of wonder. Thank you for listening. My name is Angela, and here's your host, my dad, Ben Brewster. Take it away, Dad. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode and the Wonder of It All podcast. I- I'm glad that you're here. If if you've been with us through every episode, thank you so much for continuing to walk this journey with us. If this is your first time, then then welcome, and, and I hope that you'll find something here that will will bless your lives. Uh, wow, we we've had a great lineup of guests already in this first season. Uh, we we've heard uh, testimonies and stories about battling with depression, what it's like to be a, a foster child and and to be adopted. Uh, we've listened to a uh, licensed marriage and family therapist uh, share some really great insight with us. Uh, we've had a, a college student share uh, his struggles with living with uh, Tourette's syndrome and OCD. And um, last week, we got to uh, listen to uh, my primary care provider, Jennifer, uh, who did a great job uh, talking about the relationship between mental health and physical health and and this whole concept of holistic health. And, and so I'm, I'm just so excited for how this inaugural season is going. I think there are so many blessings in every one of these interviews. So if you haven't heard them all, go back and listen to them. I think that you'll be blessed, uh, you'll be pleased, and you'll be glad that you did. Today is going to be a little different. We're, we're taking a break for one week from guests. Next week, we'll be back with another great guest. Uh, but today, I just wanted to talk a, a little bit about uh, what's going on in our country. And I tentatively titled this uh, episode, How to Survive a Presidential Election in 2020. <laughs> I was laughing to myself. Uh, sorry about that. But just that everything that we've gone through this year, um, my goodness. This has been a year for the record books, and I think a lot of us are tired, and a lot of us are stressed, and a lot of us may already be experiencing uh, early stages of PTSD. This has been an incredibly stressful year. So how in the world can we survive a presidential election? I was noticing uh, that a number of of people I connect with on social media posted pictures this weekend of Christmas decorations that as soon as Halloween was over, they began putting up Christmas decorations. And and to be fair, I did as well. And I wonder if part of doing that is we need something to look forward to. We need something that speaks of peace and joy and hope and love. And Christmas does that for, for a lot of us, not for everybody, uh, but I think you find those themes present uh, in Christmas. So there's an election Tuesday, November 3rd. If you listen on the day that this show drops new episodes, then that's today. And we may not know. We may not know by midnight tonight if who who the president is. So there is no, there's no point in sitting around being glued 
to whatever cable news network you like and watching all day long. All you're going to get is commentary. You're not going to get election results. That's going to come much later. Uh, I thought it was good. I saw a tweet earlier today by presidential historian Michael Beschloss, who said that um, this is this has happened before, not knowing until after midnight who the president is. This is nothing new for us. I think he cites five or six previous elections where this happened. So, so don't let the fear mongering get to you. Because the talking heads on cable news or radio or online, wherever you watch or whatever you read, they're going to be hitting the panic button. They're going to be talking about fear. They're going to be marketing an emotion. And that's not always a healthy thing to do because we can get wrapped up in that emotion and carried away. So take a deep breath and let's, uh, let's pray about it and let's trust God. What I've noticed in my lifetime with every presidential election, there's a, a flurry of ads, particularly in the final weeks. Now we see them online. Well, of course, that's a big deal now. You probably probably saw the, the hearings last week with guys from Twitter and Facebook and the controversy with what can be posted on social media and what is um, what's censored on social media and, and all that's going on right now. But we still have the ads on radio and TV and even through mass mailouts. Do you still get these mass mailouts in your junk mail? Every Tuesday for us is junk mail day. We get uh, circulars from stores. We get political mailouts from organizations that I'm wondering who's funding these people. Uh, that's still a thing. So I was perusing some of these ads the other day, listening and reading, and it intrigued me how both sides claim that if you don't vote for them, America might never recover. Now, I tried to say that in my most dramatic voice because that's the way it's portrayed. Like, this could be the end of America. Now, there's a part of me that I realize that that's just part of the, the, the politics. That's the that's just part of an election. And, and, and hey, I'm a political enthusiast. I was a political minor in college, a political science minor, and, and some of my favorite courses focused on politics. But sometimes we can get too sucked into the rhetoric. Uh, in my lifetime, I've had the opportunity uh, to visit with governors of several states, from brief conversations to actually sitting down and, and having a meal together. And it's fascinating when when you get some of these folks away from the cameras and you just talk to them and nothing's being recorded, you get to see something that we don't always get to see just in, in watching what the TV shows us or, or watching online videos. I've had the opportunity to get to know uh, different members of Congress and state representatives and for the most part, I've been pretty pleased. I've been pretty pleased that uh, these individuals I've had a chance to meet and talk with uh, really seem to have hearts in the right place. But even they get caught up in the political winds and the rhetoric, and just like we do. But our political system here in America intrigues me. But on the other hand, elections like this one drain my energy and leave me wondering is there a better way? to conduct such events? Do we, do we have to do the attack ads? Do we, do we have to um, move away and focus on personalities? 
uh, I hear people say, well, this candidate has this personality or this candidate has this personality. And we raise questions about each candidate's mental health or physical health. And we really don't know. And, and we, we quit focusing on policies and, and we start getting into very personal and we get nasty as we get into these personal things. So I wonder if there's not a better way to conduct. Uh, and maybe I'm not alone. You know, ha have you ever felt this way? Look, if you're tired of the election, and let's face it, we all entered this election already exhausted. We've been dealing with a worldwide pandemic. There, there's actually a term for this now. It's COVID fatigue, and it's affecting millions of Americans. I can't speak for other countries, but but here we're in America, so I'm just going to say for America that we're seeing COVID fatigue. So let's stop and take some deep breaths together. I know this might sound a little awkward at first, but bear with me here because this actually has actually helped me. So are you with me? Try to breathe in through your nose, unless you're congested. I hope you're not. I hope you're well. And then let out a super big, deep breath through your mouth. So breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And breathe out the stress and the worry and the anxiety, whatever is weighing you down. Try doing this three times. All right. So you can also clench your fists while you take a deep breath and then slowly open them while you exhale. So clench them when you breathe in and release your, your fist as you breathe out. And you can do that not just with your fists, but uh, you can also do it with your, uh, with your toes and with your shoulders and it starts to sound like a song, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. But please don't do this if you're driving right now. That might not be a good idea, and it might bring more stress uh, into your life. But some very simple exercises. Another thing that, that we can all do is um, when you go out somewhere, uh, take a parking spot far away from the entrance. Get some extra steps in. When you go to a building uh, that has stairs, take the stairs instead of the elevator do little things to get your endorphins up. If you can go out into the sun for a few minutes, get some of that natural vitamin D um, that the sun provides. There, there are little things that we can do every day to help us deal with the stress. Sitting around all day long, being glued to a TV or glued to reading article after article, opinion piece after opinion piece online is not going to lower your blood pressure. It's not going to alleviate your stress. These matters are out of our control. And serenity is all about knowing what I can control and what I can't control. And I cannot control the outcome of this election today. I can vote. I can make my voice heard. And I need to rest that I've done what I could do and leave the rest in God's hands. Now, something else that's helped me during uh, very stressful moments is to limit the amount of caffeine and sugar that I, I take in. Now, this is tough because I love coffee, good coffee. We have a great coffee place. Uh, it's originally from New Orleans that's right next door uh, to my office, and it is so worth the walk across the parking lot. 
If it's raining, if it's sunny, if it's hot, if it's cold, it doesn't matter. It is worth the walk because they just have really great coffee there. And then on top of that, my dad mails my wife and I uh, coffee from an incredible roaster in Dayton. And so we look forward to getting those shipments because that coffee is, is amazing as well. And, and before, I get, <laughs> before I go much further on coffee, I, I realize I'm, I'm digressing right now and, and I'm wanting to step away from the microphone and go get a cup of coffee. But what I've discovered about myself is that I do better during big time stressful events if I limit my caffeine intake. Now, I also mentioned sugar because for some people, sugar might be even worse than caffeine or the combination of the two could be problematic when our minds and bodies are burdened with so much excessive stress. So do what works for you. You may not be affected by caffeine. You may not be affected by sugar, but look at what affects you and look at look at how you feel after you drink certain things or eat certain things. Uh, you can even keep a daily journal. Uh, do it on your phone if you want to, um, but just keep track. And you may you may uncover some clues about yourself and how your body responds because your eating and drinking habits when you don't feel much stress. Well, when you are under a lot of stress, things that weren't a problem can now become a problem for your body and your body doesn't process them or handle them uh, as well during those stressful times. Well, speaking of this election. There's one thing about this election that has concerned me more than anything else, and that's from a faith context. There seems to be a a growing divide among Christians uh, regarding the candidates. And I know Christianity Today magazine had a, a great um, a great segment. They had somebody from a Christian point of view write why that you should vote for their candidate, another one from the other candidate, right, from a Christian viewpoint, why you should vote. And, I, and I've seen the post, and I've seen the people draw the lines in the sand, well, you cannot vote for this particular candidate and still be a Christian. I'm not sure those are really healthy uh, because no political party is perfect. And so I, I think you have to make your own choice. You have to look at policies. You have to um, look at, at where your faith is driving you and act accordingly. But I'm concerned about this divide that's taking place among Christians. I'm concerned that that politics is further dividing the church. And this division among Christians is even more concerning when I read and listen to the rhetoric. I think it's Ed Stetzer who had a, a book published two years ago entitled Christians in the Age of Outrage. How to bring out, how to bring our best when the world is at its worst. And in that book, he he talks about polarization, political polarization. He talks about harsh rhetoric that's found its way into our churches, where somebody you're friends with and you may go to church with, or you know they're a Christian and they go to a different church than you do, and they post something online and you are just outraged and incensed that they they posted this because that's not your viewpoint. That's not your opinion. And so you have to let everybody know how upset and angry you are that this person posted it. And we typically don't even do that on our own pages. We usually make a comment on someone else's page. And that bothers me because I don't think as Christians, we should talk poorly about anybody, but especially each other. And my concern is 
I feel like we're seeing less and less grace extended to Christians. We're not giving each other the benefit of the doubt. We're not validating and clarifying what someone means by what they say. We just launch forward in our outrage, and that's not a good thing. I mean, even uh, Ed Stetzer, when he writes about these things on his Twitter account, he ends up getting attacked by Christians. So it's a very disturbing trend that we need to we need to take notice of and and ask ourselves how is this how is this hurting my witness as a christian so in the christian faith is there any kind of guide we can use for navigating divisive politics i know organizations put out voting guides all the time but but can what can we learn from our christian ancestors about politics and and how to interact with government and and what our role should be in all of this. Well, I always start first with Jesus when I have a question. What did Jesus say? Are, are there any teachings from Jesus that I can take and look at and, and apply to my thinking and my actions? Well, Jesus didn't speak a whole lot about politics. One of the most recognizable comments he made is was in regard to taxation. Now, that's a subject that we can probably all agree on that we don't like. Now, I know there may be someone out there that says, no, 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 I like taxes, but I've never met somebody that likes paying taxes. I realize we have to have them, but we don't really typically like paying them. So in this question, interestingly, it's the Jewish religious leaders who bring it up to Jesus. And they do it because they're trying to trip him up by asking a political question. Now, stop and think about this. They should be on the same side. They should be supporting each other. But they use a political subject to try to discredit Jesus. How often do we do this to fellow Christians? We should be on the same side. We should be working and doing what we've been called to do in following Jesus, in supporting and encouraging each other, and being salt and light. We shouldn't be taking shots at each other. We shouldn't be dividing over politics. The Jewish religious leaders, they try to trip Jesus up with a political question. Here it is. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's a touchy subject matter. Even back then, people didn't like to pay taxes. In the Roman Empire... They love to create more taxes. So typically people don't respond well when more taxes are issued or when tax rates are increased. Uh, some things don't change throughout history. So Jesus knows what they're up to. And he asks, why are you trying to trap me? And then he says this. He asks someone to bring him a coin. And he says, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Well, they all say Caesar's. And then Jesus makes this statement. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Unfortunately, it appears that Jesus is telling us to pay our taxes. But he also draws a line between what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God. And as we read throughout the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, 
we find that our ultimate allegiance as Christians is to God. To put any person or any symbol above God is to create an idol. I think one principle we get from the Bible is that we are called to be good citizens, to obey the laws of the country, of whatever country we're living in, unless unless we are instructed to do something that would go against our faith. When Peter and the other apostles were ordered by the Jewish high council to stop preaching about Jesus, Peter said, we must obey God rather than any human authority. I think that's a principle that's been laid down that we can still use in our lives today. And I think that seems to be the unofficial policy of Christians throughout history. Obey the laws of the land until or unless we're instructed to go against our faith. And then our obedience to God supersedes any human law. So whenever we see a law that is not in accordance with the teachings of Jesus, we have to oppose that because our ultimate allegiance is to God. Now, I was born in the United States. I'm a U.S. citizen with all the privileges and duties uh, that comes with that. Now, when I became a Christian, I became a citizen of another kingdom. Here's how the Apostle Paul, who was a Roman citizen, describes it. He says, we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. So our ultimate allegiance is to God, and we may have this kind of dual citizenship. For me, I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The two are different, but I'm operating in this kind of dual role. But my allegiance as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven supersedes my allegiance as a, as a citizen of this country or whatever country you're living in. So our Christian ancestors did not have a good relationship with the government, the Roman Empire in the first century particularly. But it wasn't because of their bad behavior. It wasn't because that they were trying to be subversive to Roman law. Uh, here's the deal. Christianity came about after the Roman Empire was established. And so the Romans were suspicious of it. They saw it as an unlicensed religion. Typically, the Romans, if they conquer somebody, hey, they let them keep their religion. So Judaism was a licensed religion. They allowed the Jews to worship. That was fine. But the Christianity was birthed during the Roman Empire. And unfortunately, there were political, politically subversive groups who would operate and meet under the guise of religion to try to prevent government interference. And so the Romans were on edge about any new religious group, and that included Christianity. And so for years, the Roman emperors simply did not understand the Christians and struggled with a, con a consistent government policy toward them. You can talk about Nero and uh, the atrocities that that he uh did toward the Christians, particularly from 64 to 68 AD. Uh, we can talk about Trajan and the correspondence he had uh, that gives us some good information about what Christian worship assemblies look like. Uh, going back, I skipped Domitian, who was the first emperor to, to demand to be called Lord and God. And it was during his reign that Christians were first called atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. We can go down to Decius, who brought about a severe persecution and ordered all citizens, including Christians, to worship the state gods. We can talk about Diocletian and, and the great persecution and, and how he, he ordered all sacred Christian books to be confiscated and all meeting places to be destroyed, all clergy to be arrested. 
And he, he said it was mandatory to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods and to worship the Roman gods. So what was the official political stance of our, of our Christian ancestors? We can see it in one simple three-word statement. Jesus is Lord. What does that imply? Of what does that remind us? What is the power of such a statement? It's this. Caesar is Caesar, but Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. It was a statement of allegiance, and the Christians clung to it and would not move away from it. It's a powerful reminder that church and government, church and country are not one and the same, and they never have been. The church is without geographic boundaries. She is comprised of people from every continent and countries all over the world. So while we be, we can become passionate about a political candidate or a political philosophy, and you know we can argue for the merits thereof, no political system or candidate is our savior, redeemer, or sustainer. In my lifetime, I've seen these presidents, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, George W. Bush, Obama, and Trump. Some of these presidents I liked better than others. Some had policies I just did not agree with. Some of them even angered me at times, the things they said or the policies they tried to implement. But none of them was charged with my redemption. None of them offers me what Jesus does. None of them is my Savior. Not a single one of those presidents ever died for me. So on this election day, I choose to live in the wonder of the God who does more than I can ask or imagine. To realize that God is so much bigger than a presidential election and that the future of the country in which I live, well, I ultimately put my concerns in the hands of God. And so Jesus reminds us, don't worry, don't worry. And so that's a great piece of advice for us today, that we can live in the wonder of the God who works through whatever government and whoever is president, God's purposes are going to come about. We see this in history time and time again. No election stresses God out. God will work out his mission regardless of who wins this election. Whatever happens Tuesday, our purpose and our mission as Christians does not change. We are still called to be salt and light in our communities. We are still called to walk in the steps of Jesus, to love people like Jesus loves people, to serve all, to be conduits of grace, well, to bring hope and joy and peace everywhere we go. In fact, Jesus gave us what he called the greatest commands. He said, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, everything else falls under these two great commands, the greatest commands. That's what we're called to do, regardless of what's happening in our lives, in our countries, regardless of our fears and our worries. Now, 
go on out and vote today if you haven't already. I know some of you probably have done early voting. And as you vote, don't agonize. But remember, Jesus is Lord. And maybe when you go into that voting booth and you pick who you're voting for and what amendments, if your state has those, what you're going to vote for, maybe it'd be good if you just silently repeat to yourself, Jesus is Lord over and over. Be well this week. And until next week's episode, keep living in wonder.